female founders is hard. I've got to admit that I've, um, having two small girls, it's been uh, an interesting challenge to be a CEO from WA because you have to, in Paul Anderson's words, get on a plane as if you were getting on a bus. Welcome back to Startup West for 2019, the podcast about building great startups here in sunny West Australia. I'm Charlie Gunningham. And I'm Beth Cornelia. And today we are talking with the CEO of OncoRes Medical, Dr. Kath Giles. Kath is an exceptional person. She has a medical degree, an MBA. She was an investment manager for Brandon Capital and is also the CEO of medtech startup OncoRes. Quite an incredible person. Mm. And of course, only a few weeks ago, she won the global Pitch at the Palace competition at St. James Palace in London, as organized by Prince Andrew, the Duke of York. So An amazing achievement. So An amazing impressive. achievement. Our discussion with her ranges over many aspects of tech startups. So please enjoy the show and our chat with Kath. Welcome to Startup West, Kath. Thanks very much for having me, Beth and Charlie. It's really exciting to be here. Great to have you here. Absolutely. We wanted to start, as we always do, by asking you about your background. So we were just chatting right before we pressed record. Um, it's a really interesting story. So can you tell us, yeah, where you started? So I sneaked into Australia when my parents were on a working holiday. <laughs> um, I was Not literally. <laughs> kind of. Sort of. So not a technicality. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> And yeah, you were so born in Perth. I was born in Perth. While your South African parents, by, yes, were on a working holiday. Yes, we're on you a didn't working sneak holiday. In, you're not an illegal immigrant. <laughs> oh no, I didn't think about it that way. No, I sneaked in because I guess my mum didn't know she was pregnant yet. And right. Got, the health insurance um, HPF said, "So are you pregnant?" She's like, "Do you need maternity cover?" She's like, "Oh, maternity cover, good. I'm pregnant." No, no, not pregnant. <laughs> but um, yeah, I was born about six months later. So, yep, managed. Um, and sorry, what were they doing? Uh, so I my. Mean, Dad was, um, he was on sabbatical at UWA. So he was an organic chemist um, and was on a sabbatical period. And so we moved back to South Africa when I was one. Right, okay. Yeah. And carry on. So then you've been back and forth between South Africa and Perth quite a bit. Yeah. So for the first eight years, we did a lot of back and forth, which meant a lot of uh, yeah, I didn't have a full school year until year four or year five. Right. There was a lot of um, different year one here and then year two there right. and uh, back and forth in different years because they've all got different age group intakes. So that was... A because bit, of dad's lecturing or...? Uh, yeah, and trying to figure out the, the a lot of political unrest, so right. figuring out where they wanted to live. Right. Um, and what does mum do? What does uh, mum do? She is a fashion designer. Ah. But, so worked in fashion design then and she's run a sewing school for the last... 25 or 30 years. And they're obviously still here in Perth. Yes, they're right. still in and Perth. And brothers and sisters? Yeah, I've got a younger brother and a younger sister. So they, and um, it's interesting, so with a dad who's an academic and a mum who's, so they're both in teaching, all three of us have ended up in commerce. <laughs> so all started in science and then ended up in science plus commerce. For sure. So that kind of brings us to school. Were you a high flyer at school? How did you kind of progress through um, after you got some stability, obviously, yeah. come, come year five or whatever um, it was? Very shy at school. Right. Complete science nerd. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, definitely loved the science subjects and, yeah, I'm very, very shy. It took me quite a while to come out of my shell. And that's interesting because you obviously you've ended up on a global stage since yes. then, pitching, which we, we will get into later, but f- funny how that transitions happen. Yeah. So can you tell us what you were doing before OncoRes came along, your startup? Yeah. So um, I qualified, I went to uni, studied medicine, um, qualified as a doctor and worked for a year and a half. Then went to study the MBA at UWA. It was Uh something my husband had done, actually, alongside Charlie. And I do remember Charlie as one of the first people. There were hushed rumours around, oh, there goes Charlie. 
No. <laughs> yes, yes, I haven't Don't told you that. Your reputation. No, it was. Do you know he started AussieHome.com? <laughs> what on earth is AussieHome.com? Oh, my goodness. How embarrassing. Yeah. You're going red. Yes, but everyone on the podcast. Sorry, Charlie. You, you were a GP when you said you, you, you'd skip through. I mean, it takes five years to qualify as a doctor, and then you're a GP? Or? No, I worked for a year and a half as a resident. So, um, research? No, I do my internships. Or? internship and residency at Charlie's Hospital. Ah, right, okay. Yeah, so I worked there and then did the MBA and I've continued since then to do surgical assisting. So I help mm-hmm. surgeons, mostly orthopaedics and obs and gynae, um, surgeons out in theatre, in um, at, mostly at St John of God in Subi, right. which is great. There you go. Yeah. And so explain to us how you got started at Brandon Capital after yeah. your initial start in medicine. Yeah, so um, it was interesting when I left medicine and started the MBA, I all I thought was how am I going to get as far away from medicine as I can? <laughs> this is not for me. Um, right. There were lots of things I absolutely loved about it, but uh, there were lots of things that weren't great. So, um, and I went into the MBA thinking maybe something in human resource management. Um, had never heard about venture capital, mm. uh, and then to, I did. The, was lucky enough to do the venture capital unit with Andrew Duff at the end of the MBA. Uh. It was. Fan, a fantastic experience and it was a perfect combination for a complete science nerd with some newfound business skills. Yeah. Um, well, the MBA is good like that, isn't it? I went as a school teacher and came out doing a dot-com. Yeah. You know, it like <laughs> fills up the gaps that you haven't yeah. got because we all specialise and specialise and specialise yeah. and it gives you all these other bits that you might not have and I know yeah. you're about to do one, aren't you, Beth? I am absolutely yeah. on that path, so fantastic. I would join the ranks soon. Yeah, and it broadens your perspective so much. I think particularly, I'm sure in many things, but particularly in medicine, you have a lot of tunnel vision vision around you know and then your whole social network is doctors and you go out and you talk about patients and you know that's so it was unbelievable to be also so young doing the MBA before the internet when we had to go the first lecture you had to go talk about what, discuss globalisation. I, I don't even know what that word means. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how, how I'm going to be exposed. Everyone's going to know that I'm not to have me so as part of their group. <laughs> what year are we up to now? End of the 2000s? Yeah, Early? 2004. I started. Oh, 2003. At the end of 2003 I started. You started and you finished? 2006. So I did right. the beginning bit for a year full time. Mm-hmm. And then luckily during the venture capital unit, they had Rob, New- Rob Newman and ah. Matt Callahan come in as part of the assessment panel. Right. Um, so loved the unit, then got to present the technology we were writing our case about in front of, in front of Rob and Matt. Right. Uh, and actually then after that, I got... Um, a couple of uh, offered a job in a biotech, a local biotech, and Alex and I went away for six months on our honeymoon. And during that time, actually, Andy Cole, who I did my um, VC unit with, got contacted by Rob because he was looking for an analyst. Mm-hmm. And Andy said, "Well, you're looking for biotech. That's not me. How about talking to Kath?" Right. So whilst we were um, in Austria, we spent a lot of time in the Internet Cafe doing a little <laughs> case study for Rob to test me out, and then. Yeah. Um, yeah, so got back to Perth. I ended up working for a year at the biotech company and then joined Stonebridge Ventures when it was founded in 2006. Right, So I finished okay. my MBA over that period. And Robson's gone on to Sydney, of course. Yes. Um, CEO of that mapping Near company. Map, Near which Map. you should be watching today because it's getting close to a billion-dollar valuation. My goodness. Oh, so I'm, yeah, watching every day, seeing how Robson's going. <laughs> Amazing, how is yeah. VC land for you? Because there aren't a lot... Of VCs in Perth, it's not a big community, or am I wrong about that? Is no, quite you're a- 
absolutely spot on about that, and particularly um, VCs who invest super fund money. Uh-huh. So um, there are there are a lot of investors in Perth, yes. but um, a lot of money in Perth. a lot of money in Perth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a lot of high net worth money, and there's yes. not a lot of um, institutional money right. for the early stage tech. And is the money mainly area. going to mining, commercial property, those two big asset classes, ASX listings, and the next um, yeah. IPO? Yeah. Not really into tech not or let alone biotech? No, and definitely not into biotech. So, it's, so which that was is brave. Really, yeah, it was really interesting. Well, you know, it's an MBA um, graduate's dream job to get to go into VC. Um, so, you know, I, d- I didn't think another role like that would come up and it hasn't, which is um, – so that was great. But they – I think what was really interesting is we were backed by West Scheme Ventures. Yep. So Howard Rosario, when he was CEO of West Scheme, seeded four um, venture funds around the country, including Brandon. Right. So, and we're so I, I think WA as a whole is often under-recognised for what we do in, yep. in the medical innovation and in the tech space. And the fact that he sort of kick-started the next wave of the VC industry in yep. Australia, that came out of WA. It's not that's hmm. not well known at all, and I think he really needs to be commended for his foresight. But at that time, there was UR Capital. No, that Lydia, was pre-UR. So, but Lydia McCall, Matt McFarlane, James Williams, they did some biotech investment. There was you doing biotech yeah. investment. That was probably it, wasn't it? Yeah. Yep. And there were many deals around. I mean, um, so we probably did fifty percent of our deal flow at Stonebridge was from WA and fifty percent right. from East Coast. We had oh, probably three biotech investments in Western Earth. All of our biotech was out of WA. Um, yeah, and are they still going? Uh, so Orthocell is still going. Of yep. course, yes. yes. Um, ASX listed. Uh, yes, yes, they are ASX listed. Uh, Spirogene was so we had a couple of um, vet and. Uh, vet technologies that we invested in out of Murdoch University as part of our partnership with them. Mm. Yeah. So, and Stonebridge had, you know, a couple of exits as well. So, okay. Scanalyze was a great, with Peter Plus, Scanalyze, mm-hmm. great exit. My predecessor at Accelerating Commercialization, yes. Peter, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, and then we also had uh, Taggle, which was a Wi-Fi um, uh, localization, an early Wi-Fi localization tool that we also exited out of as well. Right, right, okay. Yeah. What do you look for in a fund funding deal? Because it's a question a lot of startups will want yeah. to know the answer to. So I guess it's um, <laughs> it oils. I reckon it all boils down to three questions. So the three questions are: How much money do you want? How long do you want it for? How much money are you going to give me back? And then, so those are the three questions that would be going on inside the venture capitalist's head. But then what you will see from them is about a million questions that, um, you know, I'll answer that that, in an indirect way. Internally, yeah. So they're gathering information to answer those questions for themselves uh, because you need to, you know, fact check that with what what you tell them, they need to then back up with other evidence around it. So, um, you know, I guess in a life sciences deal, we're looking for a really uh, solid clinical problem. So it's got to be well-validated, accepted. You've got to show evidence that it's been accepted by clinicians um, and that there's a real desire to fix it yeah. and that by fixing it, you're going to improve, significantly improve patient care uh, and health economics of um, for that particular problem. And then we're looking for a solution that solves that problem in a way that the clinician wants it solved. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, we sort of want to make sure that's so where's the sustainable competitive advantage so 
um, we're looking for something that the technology has got to be world-class um, and it's got to be protectable for us through intellectual property. That is, of course, not always the case in venture investing, but certainly for brand and capital, it is. It's patents are what yep. um, life sciences uh, you know, hinge on. Um, and that and takes a lot of money and a lot of time, many, many years to go from an idea all the way through the processes you're talking about to commercialisation eventually. Yes, absolutely. Life sciences is a very long game. Ten years? Yep. So eight to ten years. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. So um, the technology behind Encarez was they started that project in 2008. Right. So it's been 11 years to date. We've um, been invested in it for two years uh, and that two years we've finished the sort of uh, proof of concept in terms of we saw what was an awesome technology that had a real potential to solve some unmet needs in surgery. Uh, but And there was a lot of great research behind it, but now we needed to shift into commercial product development. So we had to say, and that we had two key questions we wanted to know is, what was the accuracy of this technology when you compared it to other technologies on the market or in development? And could you put this technology that is creating a microscale image into a handheld probe? So tell us about Encarez yeah. then and maybe use your own uh, examples, that example, um, for the way in which you're looking at a deal. Yeah. So how did Encarez for you two years ago, it would be nine years in already, Tick yeah. all the boxes. You went, we're going to invest in this. Well, so the journey for me started six years ago with Encarez. Okay. Um, and for me, the technology was love at first sight. Right. I mean, having worked in theatre, I could see the um, the potential that this had to make an impact. So what big customer problem is it solving? So for, for us now, so, and that was an interesting part of the journey because initially they, they had focused on breast cancer, but there definitely was the desire to look into other indications. So we had a three-year journey where we um, developed the investment case. So we looked into neurosurgery and we looked into a variety of different ways of sort of shaping the project and we've ended up coming on to breast cancer surgery and yes. using this iteration of the technology. Um, so the the really big clinical problem it's solving is that surgery for breast cancer is, you know, it's great. We're diagnosing breast cancer a lot earlier mm. now. It means that 65 to 70% of women can just have the lump taken out as opposed to losing the whole breast. Yep. The issue with it, though, is that it's still fairly um, difficult, well, it is very difficult for the surgeon to ensure that they remove all of the cancer at the mm. first surgery. And they only truly know that they've got it all out one or two weeks later when the pathologist has looked at the results. So, um, you know, with technology becoming so much more ubiquitous and around, they're still relying on their sense of touch in many cases to try and look for tumour that's less than a millimetre in diameter because, right. it's a, you know, they can feel the stiffness of the tumour. Yeah. So this the technology that we're developing combines two known technologies or two known imaging techniques. So optical coherence tomography, which if you've been to the optometrist recently, you may have had a picture taken with the new mach opt OCT machine, mm. which gives a really good visualisation of your retina. Um, you don't need to dilate your eyes anymore. So it's very well accepted in ophthalmology. So we're combining a version of that technology with an elasticity measurement. So it's a measurement of tissue stiffness on a microscopic scale or on a micro scale. And tumour um, is in general stiffer than healthy tissue and that's what we're capitalising on. Mm. So um, 
we're hoping that we will, so currently 30% of women, around 30% of women have to go back and have an additional surgery, which is not only the distress and the, the uncertainty for the women, um, but also the, having to go through, through the extra physical um, mm. thing of having another surgery. Mm. The risks of the second surgery are much higher in terms of infection, um, developing other complications, and also just having to have the breast off because it's very difficult two weeks later to find where you've got to go take more tissue so from. So you've got a scanning device? What, what is that? Yeah. Is it? So it, it is a handheld probe yep. that we'll be able to give the surgeon to use in their hand during um, theatre. Ah. It will, once they've taken the lump out, they'll be able to use our probe to scan inside the cavity. While they're there. While they're there. Wow. Um, to identify tumour that previously would have so been So you don't used. have to wait the two weeks and then go back again. Yeah. You can do it right there. Yeah. And then, so you're avoiding having to come back and do repeat yeah. surgery. That is exactly what we're hoping to. So the, the, all the bits that the surgeon cuts out will still go to the pathologist. And they'll still, so you'll still have that surety that it has been double checked and everything. But we will just, we are augmenting the surgeon's ability to identify all the tumour they need to remove. So, what sort of cost to the economy? It's coming back and doing all these second surgeries. Um, I mean, you talked about some of the non-monetary costs, but yeah. you know, it's a huge cost to go and do this. Yeah, so it's we've estimated it's about $2 billion um, every year in the US, US and EU. Right. Um, it's between 30 and 60 um, in Australia, 60 million in yes. Australia. Um, it's so, and that is just the cost of the additional surgery. That's yeah. not all the extra costs, um, but economic and non-economic to the patient and their family. And all so, those where's the product things. now? You've you got it being trialled, or you're, I know you're doing a fundraising at the moment. Where, where are we up to now in 2019? So, we have um, finished our proof of concept stage. Right. So, we got our diagnostic accuracy results at the end of last year, and they were way better than we. They were significantly better than we expected. Fantastic. So, we got a sensitive diagnostic accuracy of around 95 percent which is fantastic, and mm. it blows the competition out of the water, right. which is awesome. Um, it's what you want, that, yeah, that competitive edge, right? Exactly what we want. So um, there's other people trying to do this as a well? A lot about, well, it's a, it's a well-known clinical problem. Right. Health insurers, surgeons, patients, they all want a solution to it. They're right. looking for one. Um, the things that have been developed at the moment are either not accurate enough or they are... Not they have issues in terms of integrating you into the surgical workflow. Yes. For example, some of them require you to put fluorescence imaging agents in there, turn the lights off, and then use the scalpel to, you know, which just to me sounds terrifying. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then others, you know, they are expose the patient or the surgeon to additional risk with radiation and right. things like that. So ours has also the added bonus that it's safe. Right. We don't use any um, ionising radiation. We don't expo need a contrast agent. So it's got that. It's yes. got the fact that we image in the cavity as opposed to on the excised lump. A lot of the competitors will always be constrained by the fact that they can only image the excised lump, mm. which is a very poor surrogate. As actually, for what yeah. actually remains. Yes. So we do feel we've got a really nice trifecta of competitive advantage there. So with all those competitive advantages, mm -hmm. has it been easy or challenging to raise money and, and get the awareness out there and get to where you've gotten with Oncoraz? Uh, so we've been fortunate that Brandon backed us, well, um, committed $6 million to us back in 2016. I'm very proud to say that we um, achieved what we set out to achieve for the Series A round on three. Mm -hmm. So we had three in the bank, which they've um, given us to fund this year. And then we were very fortunate that we received a CRCP grant for $3 million at the end of 2018 as well. Mm -hmm. So 
we're in a lovely position at the moment. Um, we are just starting our fundraising journey for the Series B. Uh, so I probably need to circle back and let you know in about three months' time. Stay I'll tuned. Ha- I'll have a good read after Is the next two weeks local, in the US. Is that going to be Australia, American money? Or? Charlie, I would love it to be local. Yeah. Um, so I did initially two years ago, did try and raise some local money alongside Brandon's money. Mm. Um, and, you know, like you said, it's very, uh, th- there's not a lot of investment into biotech because you do have to be patient. Yeah. Um, I don't believe for us that an ASX listing is the right exit um, because I think ultimately for Oncares to have the greatest impact on patient care, we need to go into a partnership with a medical device company based in the US where we will have the most opportunity to have global global reach and yes. a global impact so including how long, in Australia. So interrupt. How long then from where we are today, early 2019, to surgeons having this in their hand practically being used, do you see? Well, um, we imagine that we will get, we're aiming for FDA approval in the next two and a half years, which means we'll then run our large clinical trial after that. So I'd say three and a half years time is around when um, we we will be in a position to start putting it into into surgeons who are not already part of the team. Um, So that'll be 14, 15 years from the beginning of Oncorez. Yeah, absolutely. But only, hopefully, um, <laughs> how many is it? Five and a half since we since, since you started became, since it became a company Fantastic. and was founded. Yeah, yeah. So we did mention at, right at the start about pitch at the palace. Yes. So can you talk us through that experience? Because you went from winning the local WA pitch at the palace to the Australian to the global. So we'd love to yeah, have you talk us through that story. And, and why do you decide to go for it as uh, a pitching competition? Yeah. So yeah, it's it's definitely not. The, what we usually would do. <laughs> that was definitely like, what are you doing, Kath, from the Melbourne office? Uh, I kept a little bit quiet at the beginning. Right. Um, so why did we do it? I think it leads on from your last comment, Charlie. This is a really long journey. Yes. Um, Brendan and I, Brendan's the CSO, are both very goal-oriented and we made a decision in September that we needed to make sure we enjoyed the journey as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Greg Reby suggested Pitch at Palace after we'd been in the Innovator of the Year and come on Brendan let's let's give it a go and I think also my attitude towards particularly um commercialization commercializing life sciences from WA you need to be very open-minded you never know you need to say yes to any mm. opportunity you who get who knows what door you walk who through knows? and yep and it sometimes it takes four years to pay back but you know I've been amazed at how many times I'll do something for somebody else who I think yeah. that is never going to come back, but I'm happy to do it. Yeah, yeah. And and, and I must, later I get something back. I must disclose here that I was one of the judges for the WA Pitch of the Palace, and I was okay. amazed at the quality of the pitching and the event, actually. I it go to a lots of pitching events. Yeah. And the Duke of York, Prince Andrew, was actually there. I thought, well, he might be in the London one, but he's not going to be in Little Old Perth. That's he was I there. too. Yeah. Very open, chatting, understood all the arguments. He's obviously been at lots of pitching competitions. Yeah. He started this up in 2014, I yeah. think. So a new breeze through WA, so well done. Um, and I obviously didn't see you in the Australian one. That was the following week in Brisbane, I yes. think. And you were one of, is it two Australian? Two Australians, yes. That then got to the global. So could you tell us about the global one in December and actually going to St James's Palace Oh, and what that experience was like. It was fantastic. So um, I, and, and definitely a once in a lifetime type of opportunity. Yeah. Um, 
so it was great because Brendan hadn't come along to the Australian ones. Um, I'd done that by myself. So it was great to have Brendan there as well. Uh, we had a lot of uh, fun stories come out of the whole event, mm. like Brendan's luggage didn't arrive. So he ended ah. up, Qantas supplied him with PJs that he managed to, um, <laughs> if it had been me, it would have been trouble. But Brendan managed to rock those during the, the day because that was all he had. During the day? Oh, yeah, just just the shirt. <laughs> but he managed to, and then the in other, December In December, in London. I know, amazing. <laughs> and a pair of borrowed shoes. So, um, oh, wow. Because, you know, he arrived two He wasn't pitching in PJs. Started. No, no. no good. He, you were doing the pitching. Oh, and yes, there were, and there wasn't the formal pitch that day but um <laughs> yeah the other Australian was also six foot five and Brendan said hi nice to meet you may have do you have a spare pair of shoes at all <laughs> and he did so well, there you uh, go yeah. ask can you show us exactly I'm and, just all paid for you like got and, tickets yeah, the whole uh, lot yeah so um Picture Palace Australia paid for our tickets oh. and our accommodation over there so yes fantastic. it was all paid for which was fantastic um and then the other Australians are um developing a solar station um for third world countries mm. And that got, uh, they left it in their room that day and it, it, it does look like a little bit of a suspicious package. So housekeeping ended up calling the police. Oh, no. And there was quite a, um, yeah, they closed down four blocks around the hotel. What? All, um, you know, everyone was having a great time at boot camp. Aussies um, in London, yeah. I tell you. Disgraceful behaviour. Luckily, the Royal Family, you know, <laughs> Prince Andrew thought that that was really quite funny. Oh, um, and yeah. how was the actual event? Nerve-wracking or...? The event was nerve-wracking because they changed it up. So, like I said, I'm not a public speaker by choice. Um, <laughs> and so... And I, I think like you've just proven you are, by the way. <laughs> you won a global pitch competition yeah. anyway. <laughs> um, I still get very nervous before every time. Right. Um, and at the last minute they changed the pitch length to two minutes as opposed to three and then took, took the lectern away. And I've got to say ah. I like having my safety blanket of my notes in front of me. I don't read off them but I like to know that they're there. And so he took the lectern away with 20 minutes to go <gasps> and that was, yeah, Deliver I reckon no, they did oh, yeah, that. Totally just to mix it up a bit. Throw you off. Make tough. it two minutes. Oh, yeah. No. But so. were they good? Well, I mean, congratulations on flying the flag and the West Aussie flag and on well winning it. I think you were one of three global yeah. winners. Fantastic. Yeah. What has resulted from that? Did you make some really good connections? Because I think that's what it's all about. Yeah, right? it is. And that's what I love about it as opposed to uh, you've won, here's a here's check. Um, right. Because I think that in introductions can be even more valuable yep. than an amount of money. Um, and so, yes, we had the opportunity to meet our decision makers in the NHS. Um, right. We, you know, the Australians, we asked for an introduction to Kylie Minogue. I do need to chase that what? up. What? Yeah, well, as a, um, but oh, you she's a representative. Oh, of course, breast cancer survivor. And Australian icon. So, you know, there are, they have sort of said, ask and you, we will do our best to introduce you to who you want to be introduced to. Um yeah, so we – and Carly is coming to Perth in March. Yeah. Ah. yeah. South Foreshore, isn't it? South yeah, Foreshore? South Perth, Not yeah. that I'd know. <laughs> Secret Carly fan over here. You think about that, Charlie. <laughs> uh, he knows. He knows where the show is. He's just bluffing. Got my gold Nome trousers ready. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be spinning around. Don't you worry. Excellent. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Yeah. On that note, <laughs> um, should we uh, jump to the quick fire questions, Charlie? Absolutely. But before we do, just one mm-hmm. – I mean – Fantastic story. Congratulations on what you've done. I mean, we need more female founders. We need more money for med tech. Have you got any comment about either or both of that 
in yeah. WA? Are they out there? What what does it need to encourage more of them along? Because uh, I'm afraid you wear both those. Yeah, um, on your shoulders. So I think medtech, medtech. We need more money in WA. It would be great to have more money in WA. We need to have a success story though too. Yes. You know, and a success story we can be proud of and share. Mm-hmm. Um, so no we, pressure, Kath. Yeah, well, I need more of WA behind me to do that. So, yeah, and that's part of what I would, if if it is at all possible, I would love to raise money out of WA because I think that will enable us to stay here longer, Mm -hmm. to grow, to grow Ankara's here for longer. Therefore, to grow the capability around it. Yes, um, because I think that's something that. So that's part of the reason we set up Spark is um, collab to help build the understanding of what it takes to commercialise um, medical innovation and to build the ecosystem. And we're definitely getting there. So I think it's going to take a while for all the great work that's been going on to start to flow through into more opportunities. But I think we've started. So we just need to keep going in that regard. Um, Female founders is hard. I've got to admit that I've um, having two small girls, it's Mm. been... Uh, an interesting challenge to be a CEO from WA because you have to, in Paul Anderson's words, get on a plane as if you were getting on a bus. Um, And that is a huge challenge as a mother um, to particularly, you know, leaving tomorrow. It's the first week of school. Um, (laughs) Off the States tomorrow? Yeah. Is that fundraising? Is that? uh, So it's a a roadshow but a pre-financing roadshow. All the best with that. Thanks. Mm. Yeah, we've got some great meetings lined up. So, yes, I would really love to have some WA investors along for that that ride. Okay. Anyone listening? Yeah. (laughs) Take note. Rapid fire questions. Let's go. All righty. The single most important factor for making a successful startup? Relationships. Lovely. Do you believe in insourcing or outsourcing? It depends on the job at hand and who the best person is to do it. Awesome. Should a startup self-fund or raise money? Uh, in the med tech space, I don't think you can get away without raising money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think so. Yeah. Are you a PC or a Mac person? Uh, Mac. By oh no, what am I talking about? PC. I'm sitting here right with a ThinkPad. <laughs> oh, yeah, Freudian sleep. I would like to be a Mac person. Other people at work are Mac people, but no, I've got a PC. <laughs> uh, red or white? I read. Do you listen to podcasts? If so, have you got a favourite? Uh, Apart from this well, one. Well, this one, absolutely <laughs> this one. Um, and then, yeah, I love the 20-minute VC. And I've got to say, I started listening to the London School of Economics podcast, which sounds really boring, but, oh, I learned such, um, yeah, that is very broad in terms of what they talk about. So some of them are really cool, like why food tastes, why beer tastes better when you're on holiday. Ah, okay. I'll check that one out. Yeah. London School of Economics podcast, right? Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Kath. And thank you to everyone listening. Don't forget to give the Startup West podcast a nice review. Uh, Subscribe, rate us. That always helps other people to find us. And we also like to give out a shout out to other West Australian podcasts. And here's a new one you may not have heard of. Fearlessly Playful with Dr. Kate Raines Goldie. Now, Kate will be on the next episode of Startup West. So do check her out on her own pod in the meantime. Until then, uh, we want to thank our sponsors. As always, uh, Startup West podcast is produced by Startup News and Alika, and it's brought to you by the fine people at Raise, Tech on Technologies, and BDO. Okay, see you next time, and thanks, Kath. Thanks, bon Kath. voyage. Thanks, guys. Thanks.